There he is. I wasn't sleeping. Annie. How's Annie? She's gonna be just fine. She's in the hospital. I need to brush my teeth. Well, hello, and welcome to a big episode of A Damn Fine Podcast, the podcast that has rewatched season one and two of Twin Peaks and is getting ready for season three of Twin Peaks coming in, in just a couple of weeks here. I'm Ron Richards, and with me as always is Tom Merritt. Past tense, rewatched. rewatched. As of this episode, we are done with the regular season rewatch of Twin Peaks. It's yes. a weird feeling. To have done this and know there's more yet to come. Yes, I quite I still haven't wrapped my head around that. But this episode is so big, looking at the season two finale, episode 22 of season two of Twin Peaks, that we couldn't just get one guest. We had to get two guests, and we had to get two of our favorite guests of the entire run. First up, we've got our deputy hawk, Connor Kilpatrick. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. And of course, we couldn't do it without our Albert, Gabriel Hardman. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> the whole gang is back together now, all four of us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you can't hear it, but I'm doing the Bookhouse Boy salute to all of you. Yeah. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so this is the last episode of season two, and I'm just let's just dive right into it because there's a lot to discuss. Um, season two, episode 22, uh, German title, Beyond Life and Death. Uh, it was uh, originally aired on June 10th, 1991, which is, uh, if you remember from last episode, we talked about this is the, it was the two-hour season finale. It all happened on one night, um, and that one night's uh, ratings was 10.4 million uh, viewers, and it came in last compared to Murphy Brown, a rerun of Murphy Brown on CBS. Uh, Ouch. And, and this is the 10 o'clock hour, and it came in last behind a rerun of Northern Exposure at 10 p.m. on CBS. So yeah. there you go. Uh, so this episode was written by, well, it's credited as written by Mark Frost, Harley Payton, and Robert Engels, uh, but we'll get to who really wrote a significant portion of this episode later on. Um, and it was directed by, of course, Mr. David Lynch. So, uh, yeah, so, so to set the stage, does anybody remember watching the finale when it actually aired? Of course. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's so disturbing, and it left such a psychic mark on me. Of course I remember it. Yeah. I mean, I, didn't, I actually wasn't able to watch it when it, when it aired because I, I, was, I was 17 years old. I had just moved to New York City to go to School of Visual Arts, and I was staying with friends uh, who didn't have a TV, you know? And uh, I didn't have any way to see it, and so I had to see it l- like a couple days later on VHS, but I, yeah, I did the same thing. Cause I was moving, uh, it was between, you know, semesters into the summer semester and I was moving out of one place and into another. And I, I wasn't able to watch it when it actually aired, but I did track it down on videotape later. I'm, I'm glad we have a, the same situation here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I actually remember, I vividly remember like, uh, uh, you know, sitting up on the roof, probably smoking clove cigarettes, you know, <laughs> the fact that I, uh, that I wasn't able to, uh, uh, to, to watch them. Jarums? Were they jarums? <laughs> of course they were. <laughs> well, yeah, I was definitely, I, I remember watching this because I vividly remember, uh, the, the scenes towards the latter half of this episode. And I remember the, the, the very last scene, of course, but I was, this was June. So it was close to the end of the school year and I was finishing eighth grade about to go into high school in ninth grade in September. So, uh, it was probably a very exciting moment. So, uh, but I do remember watching live. I, I'm going to be honest. I remember being underwhelmed 
the first time when I when I tracked it down and I was with a bunch of other people and we were talking through half of it. And I was like, wow, they didn't really wrap anything up, did they? And it's so funny because when I rewatched the series again a couple of years later before Fire Walk With Me came out, I was riveted. Yeah. watching it the second time. And it's that difference between having been able to binge watch uh, that second time through and really pay attention and get sucked in. Well, well I, I can definitely say that af- after watching it when it originally aired at the age of 14, I was both freaked out at the very, very end, we'll get to, but I spent most of the episode confused and not understanding what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that change now? Uh, now I have a little a little more knowledge, <laughs> a little more, not much, but just a little. This was one of, the, one of those really big... See, series finales that didn't satisfy most people yeah. you know like it wasn't meant to be a series finale so it didn't like mm-hmm. wrap everything up and so you're left at the end going what 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 yep. and as a 14 year old i remember watching by myself because nobody else in the family watched it right just being completely disturbed by the the ending we'll get and we'll get to the ending itself but the final imagery um left i don't know if i slept very well that night or or the intervening days but or, or for years uh, afterwards or for years or or this morning or uh, uh but it, it 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 left a mark on me so much so that i was really having i was telling ron earlier having a little bit of anxiety watching this episode just because i was suddenly back to being 14 watching it alone in a dark living room in new york city yeah this is not a comforting episode this yeah, is not a relaxing episode i um, I was disappointed by it the first time I saw it, but maybe, I mean, not exactly for the same reasons. I kind of felt like, uh, what, you know, what we'll get to with the lodge stuff and all that was kind of too much and too demystifying and believe it or not, you know, I mean, it mm. makes no sense, but I mean, like, but still seeing too much of that stuff and it all being thrown at you. And then I felt, I, I honestly felt like the, the ending was cheap. You know, I felt yeah. like it was a cheap non twin peak sort of thing to do. And but we'll get to it. So, yeah, you know. I remember the 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 first time watching it, someone at the end going, "Oh my gosh, we're not going to be able to find out what happened to Audrey," and me going, "She's dead." What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was more worried about Pete, but okay, sure, Audrey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I right. did look. I mean, I knew I knew the series was canceled, so I actually did look at those all those things as not as like cliffhangers, like any yeah, yeah. would, but just as oh, so they all died. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, that was where my head was at. A very Shakespearean time. ending, you know, like just kill yeah. everybody off. Although, but and I think that's why maybe that goes Gabe to your kind of comment about the ending being cheap. You know, kind of where where we end Cooper at the when the credit when the end credits come up. You know, feels like a cliffhanger. You know, with with no yeah. intention of ever doing more. You know, like and and what I think is also interesting is that at this point when it was on, we knew that it was officially canceled. We knew that this was the series finale, and the, the uh, Firewalk with Me had not been announced yet. So we did not know mm-hmm. that there would be anything more to come. Uh, so, you know, so this was kind of the last hurrah for Twin Peaks fans at this moment. So, um, all right, well, let's, let's dive right into it and let's get, let's get on with it. Um, so this, the episode opens up at the sheriff's station with Andy and Lucy cheek to cheek, recapping the events from the previous, uh, hour, uh, basically from uh, from Lucy's point of view about how the, the lights went out at the at the at the roadhouse and and it was chaos and she was afraid she was afraid that she might uh, you know what if she was you know giving giving birth and the lights went out what would they do and Andy assures her that she would just give birth in in the elevator in front of everybody which is weird Thank <laughs> God and everybody <laughs> but it's sweet it, though it's sweet I mean yeah. the they are one of I mean all the weirdness with Dick Tremaine in the middle of the side like they are one of the only purely sweet couples in the show yeah true so, yeah and, and the dark i mean there's so much dark stuff in this the uh but he makes this real point like 
you know, counterpoint, uh, you know, with people uh, with like the the cup, the sweet couples and little moments between the uh, the couples who do get to be together. Yeah. yeah. Spoonful of sugar. Exactly. It also it also starts with a, a prolonged bit of silence. Yes. Yeah. Which I found yeah. a little disturbing because you're you're holding your breath from the end of the last episode and then it's just nothing. And actually, it's funny before we really get into it. I, I had meant to watch this episode, take notes, watch it again. And not worry about notes, but time things because it was. A lot, I wanted time to silence. I wanted to time some stuff later on. I couldn't bring myself to watch it again. <laughs> um, so I don't know how long the, the silence was at the beginning, but it's long enough where you get uncomfortable. Desolate. The only, the only thing I don't like about this scene is that it reminds me that the fucking Miss Twin Peaks pageant happened. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan. We see. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really it's funny because you really net out between you know like because I, I a couple episodes ago when we had Anthony Carboni on who loved the Miss Twin, Twin Peaks pageant thought it was it was perfect <laughs> and amazing and so so Gabe why do you not like it is it just a little too much or a little too uh, a little too convenient to put everybody all in the same room at one spot <laughs> little is not a word I would use for this it is way way too I mean it's it's too long it serves no purpose it uh it, it's like it. It's the worst version of a television show that that like gathers together uh, main characters, even though they have nothing to do with each other and just puts them in in a, uh, a shared situation like, uh, you know, it's I mean, the season two increasingly does that over the course of it, where, you know, with uh, with Earl picking out uh, the, you know, Donna and and. Uh, um, Audrey, you know, Donna and Audrey and Shelley, not not for any coherent reason other that they are, uh, you know, featured, you know, characters on the show, you know, like in, in the world of the town, it makes no sense. It's just that, you know, so like Miss Twin Peaks is like the uh, ground zero of that, where you you've taken all these uh, uh, characters and put them in this kind of pointless show. That uh, has it. Oh, I, I, I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, it's uh, so it happened, and you know. But now, you know, where 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 we've let left off is Wyndham Earl has kidnapped Annie, and so uh, we cut away from Andy and uh, Lucy, and we go back to the conference room where Cooper and Hawk are staring at the uh, at the petroglyph map on the chalkboard, and Truman comes in to inform them that uh, that Wyndham Earl has completely disappeared, despite them posting deputies on every road, but he's completely gone. Um, and, you know, Cooper is still staring at the map and he's, you know, reciting, he's said, the giant, a little man, fire, fire, walk with me. Uh, you know, they're trying to figure out where the entrance is to the lodge and they get interrupted by Pete coming in very angry that his truck has been stolen by the log lady. Uh, but Cooper assures Pete that it wasn't the log lady. In fact, that she'll be there in one minute. Uh, <laughs> and then of course, uh, in the minute while we're waiting for the log lady, they put two and two together with Ghostwood, and uh, the the woods are called Ghostwood and Ghost and Wood. And then Truman recognizes that there are twelve sycamore trees in an area known as Glastonbury Grove, and that's actually where Hawk found the diary pages and the bloody uh, the bloody shirt. And uh, so then, the, then Cooper expounds on how Glastonbury Globe is the burial place of King Arthur, uh, which Pete protests that King Arthur was born in England. Clearly, Pete is not getting what's going on here. Um, and then the log lady comes in and confirms that she did not steal his truck. And Cooper tells Pete that Wyndham Earl stole his truck. And the log lady has brought a jo- jar of oil and explains that her husband had brought it back, uh, brought it back with him after he disappeared, and explained it's an opening to a gateway. And at that point, Cooper smells the oil, hands it to Truman, and it smells like scorched engine oil. And this seems like a good time for Cooper to tell Hawk to bring Ronette Pulaski in. 
<laughs> and then nothing like taking a a poor affected victim and make her she relude. looks like she's doing better <laughs> she until like she's now doing great yeah and so then he shoves the engine oil underneath her nose and she she starts freaking out and says she hasn't smelled that since the night laura died confirming that yes that is that's all related uh now, <laughs> one of the patterns of this scene is going to be carried out through this entire episode which is greatest hits of twin peaks right yeah. uh we are getting both Elements and characters. So let's bring the log lady in for one last appearance. Let's bring Rodette Pulaski back. Come on down, Rodette, for one last appearance. Scorched engine oil. Oh, yeah, we need to have that in here. And uh, Cooper making a prediction that seems like it can't possibly be something he knows that turns out to be true. That and more, like, odd allusions to King Arthur, which are never explained and make no sense. It's all packed in here, and it's going to keep going. When, when, when Pete says King Arthur's body is buried in England and he's very confused, I wrote down, me too, buddy. I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> it, this, this scene lays the groundwork for me not having a, giving things a, a lot of leeway that don't make any sense, uh, where, where, where clues and random intu- intuitions are thrown together to form conclusions. This is, as a 14-year-old watching this, it sort of wired my brain to be like, okay, yeah. I'll go with it. Like, well, but, yeah, but isn't, I mean, it is kind of getting back to that central cooper thing of uh you know of his his weird nonsensical way of investigating stuff that that had gone away for a long time Uh, the thing that it brings back that i love the most is uh is cooper cooper's like perversity cooper's like perverse delightedness at the uh at the engine oil and and a kind of uh you know McLaughlin investing that character with something that you hadn't seen in a really long time. Those those contrasts that were so great about the early version of Cooper. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing also is is that I know in in our kind of re you know Tom as we've been rewatching this and talking about this with so many people, you know, looking back on it, there's lots of aspects of the lore that I have purposely kept out of talking about. So like when we first saw Glastonbury Grove a few uh, Grove sure. a few episodes ago, I purposely did not call it Glastonbury Grove because a it's very difficult for me to say, but b also <laughs> also um, you know if anybody is watching it for the first time want to listen along, I didn't want to spoil things, but it, but in in the moment where it took to this last, it's the kind thing where I always took took for granted that that was Glastonbury Grove because I've known about the, the mythology for the past 20 years and realized that it was really kind of shoehorned in really at the last minute, you know, like Lynch really yeah. kind of added a whole bunch more about the lodge and the, the mythology here in this last episode, because he'd been gone for however many episodes. And, you know, this is where this kind of, this is the first notion of what happened with the writing of this episode was that, you know, as I said at the top, that it was, you know, credited to Mark Frost, Harley Payton and Robert Engels, and they wrote a script. But the moment that they got on set when Lynch was directing, he basically took that script and was like, no, 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 this won't do. And, and wrote a lot of it on set at that moment, and this is one of them. Ronette Pulaski was not in the original final episode script. Um, you know, a lot of the, the mythology stuff Lynch put on in the spur of the moment because that's what he wanted it to be. And so it, it's, it, it, it feels not well for, thought out because it was not well thought out. Right. But I, Although, I, I like some of the fan service elements of this episode where, yeah. like, even though it doesn't make sense that they bring Ronette in just to smell the scorched oil, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh, cool, we get to see Ronette one more time. And, yeah. you know, like that part of it is fun for me. 
Yeah. And they just keep her in a room to the side just in case <laughs> they needed her at any moment. Well, she, I mean, she, this is the best she's looked in her series. She's got a nice outfit from the Gap on. She just looks yeah, like And they she's... gave her that, that early 90s haircut. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so, she's got I an mean, updated look. She's, she's spent the past couple of weeks recovering from the, heart, the worst night of her life. And so let's just, let's just make her revisit it. This is very mean. But, yeah. You know, I, I actually I read, I just reread the script as well. And um, the, the one thing about that, though, is that Glastonbury Grove is in their script, yes, is yeah. in the Frost Payton angle script and the um and it's heading like all that sort of stuff seems to be heading in a particular direction that does in their script pays off things throughout the second season yeah uh in you know they would have been terrible if the if the if the episode had been filmed that way but reading the script it's uh it's clear that they were sort of going in a direction by the end of it and that was just sort of scuttled by david lynch yeah well, you know, he's the he's the visionary, right? So, I mean, and, and ultimately, we talk about, about at the end of the episode, but I, I, I don't know. I think it works in some places. But anyway, no, I, I'm glad. I am much, much more positive on this than every single other person in this room. Yeah, I think it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it. I think it. I, I'm glad he did. I'm yeah. glad that he did. guys. I I love almost everything about this episode. Yeah, I, I do too. I, yeah, I, I, I love it more than all of you. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. I love it more, Tom. <laughs> Uh, Rod, before we move on, I'm surprised as a big Pete fan, you didn't mention how awesome his jacket is. Everything about Pete is wonderful. I mean, down from the jacket to him uh, ranting about his truck being stolen down to the make and model, Dodge 68. And the number of rainbow Rainbow trout. trout. Yeah, exactly. I feel like he should acknowledge that there's a bigger thing happening in the town and maybe his truck being stolen isn't the top priority of the deputies and and that all these people were just kidnapped. (laughs) Pete is very focused on things. Yeah, he's right. How many deputies do they have in the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department? They can put them on every road. Well, so. that, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I think I think in the previous episode he said they pulled them in from neighboring counties. Oh yes, uh, that so, is true. Yeah. Well, so then that moves us to we go to the woods where Wyndham Earl pulls up to Glastonbury Grove uh, in Pete's truck with Annie in tow, um, and he makes her look at the twelve rainbow trout. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, and then at that point, Annie is you know being very brave, and she says, "Why don't he get? Why doesn't he get over it and kill her?" And he says, "He will in due time, but he likes the fear he's feeling." Um, and Annie starts uh, reciting prayers to herself to calm herself down as they go through the flashlights in the eerie Psalm one forty one. Oh, as a matter well, of there it is. I looked it up. Um, and uh, Windermere is navigating through the, the 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 forest with a very David Lynchian flashlight point of view shot. Um, and Annie assures Wintermerle that Cooper's going to come, but Earl says that he won't. It's going to be just like last time. And once they get into the circle of trees at Glassberry Grove, uh, Annie becomes kind of almost, you know, entranced and does whatever Wintermerle says. And they uh, walk towards it, and the red carpet curtain appears, and they go through it, and the curtain disappears, and they are gone. So, uh, so they have entered the Black Lodge. I love that to play effect. baseball in it's Iowa. Cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> Is this heaven? No, it's the Black Lodge. <laughs> you took a wrong turn. <laughs> and so I guess, I mean, I guess Wyndham Earl opened the, the door with Annie's fear, right? Yeah. Yep. Sure. Okay. Sure. That's how we <laughs> ended up with the White House. It opens with fire, it opens with chance, it opens yep. with twelve in the circle, like whatever. Twelve rainbow trout. Well, that's the point I wanted to make, because later on when Cooper shows up, he doesn't do anything. He just, well, the, 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 the Black Lodge opens up for him versus him he's opening afraid. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he's afraid. Yeah. He's afraid for Annie. So, yeah. Um, but as if you can't wait to see what's going on in the Black Lodge, we cut to Big Ed's uh, living room, uh, which this is the first moment for me, at least in this episode, where it's like, oh, yeah, David Lynch is behind the camera. 
Yes. Because you, you get this amazing shot of the living room, you know, that it just looks, the floor just looks huge. And you get Big Ed kind of snapping his fingers and doing a little dance with Norma, which I just love Big Ed. Um, but we see on the couch that Nadine and Mike both have bloody bandages around their head as, as Doc Hayward is treating Nadine. And uh, Mike starts just pontificating about how, you know, how uh, he loves Nadine and that she's, and, and that he wants to be with her. And now he sees and understands. Um, and at that moment, Nadine doesn't know who Mike is. She asks, she wants to know why he's in her house and then she asks Ed to make him leave and then she sees Norma and starts crying and gets upset and then notices her drape runners are gone and screams asking where her drape runners are and Big Ed uh, grabs her and says, how old are you? And she says, 35, you moron. Um, <laughs> and it uh, looks as if old Nadine is back to which Mike stands up and apologizes for letting things get out of hand. Did so. I say best of Twin Peaks in this episode? <laughs> Because well, it's also el- other elements of Listen, Twin Peaks. James isn't in the room. That's so a good point. I know, right? That, that. Is the, that is the saving grace. We we do not revisit James and his motorcycle, sadly. Uh, but, man, I was so disappointed. I actually was kind of cheering. I was shipping Nadine and Mike at this point. Yeah. Well, I, I like that it takes something that has been so silly and useless for so long. And then and melodra- and this scene is melodramatic. Yeah. Very soap opera Very. Yeah. yeah. And. But to me, and then takes it and just makes it tragic and sad, you know, twists it into this thing that, uh, you know, that you actually kind of feel for these people over something that couldn't be more absurd and more soap opera-ish, everything leading up to it. It's a devastating ending. I I have my notes. My first note is Ed and Norma could not be happier. And then I've got like four more notes. And my last note in the scene is poor Ed and Norma because they have a complete arc here. I mean, he's when he's dancing with her and they're snapping and they're smiling. They're in that they're in that bubble that everyone knows that you don't see anybody else in the room and that bubble is going to be very violently pierced by the end of the scene and it sucks for them. Until until your estranged wife comes back to her senses. Right. With weird ketchup stains on her her bandages. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you just hit her in the head again and hope that that works? (laughs) Whoa! Yeah, I'm not... We're all going to back away from that now. (laughs) Well, I've got to say that that as painful as the the wrapping up of the Nadine storyline is, it's just worth it for the shot of Big Ed snapping and dancing. It was just... It really That really felt like, oh, this is David Lynch and that for me, that's what saves the scene, so... Um, well, if you if you if you like soap opera ness, uh, get ready because it just continues as we go to the Haywards as they're dealing with the fallout of Donna speculating that Ben is her father. Uh, Eileen and Ben are staring at each other in the living room as Donna comes downstairs with a suitcase and is just ranting and raving about her parents. And Ben is explaining he just wanted to do good and tell the truth. But then Doc Hayward comes in and tells Ben he's got to leave. But then Ben asks Doc Hayward for his forgiveness. Uh, and then Mrs. Horn comes in. Which talk about you know seeing seeing old <laughs> faces we haven't seen Mrs. Horn since since the and to which Ben tells her she he told her to stay home. <laughs> She's yeah, like, this is the series two. finale. I'm not staying yeah, home. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then at that point, then um, Mrs. Horn yells at Ben, saying, "What are you trying to do to this family?" And then Donna starts crying and buries her head in in Doc Hayward's chest, saying, "You're my daddy. You're my daddy." And Doc Hayward's finally had enough, and he punches Ben, and Ben walks into the fireplace and busts his head open. <laughs> It's a very bad stunt direction here, by the way. Like, it's the most telegraphed move of Ben going into the fireplace. Um, and then Ben is lying bloody on the floor, and Doc Hayward uh, screams in agony. He doesn't go to help him, you know, doctor be damned. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is meant to be our season two cliffhanger about this storyline is Ben alive? What happened? Nope. Did Doc Hayward kill him? You know? <laughs> also, this is the last we see of all of these characters, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thankfully. 
It's uh, I felt like the, I felt like the opening shot of this was similarly angled to the previous shot with Big Ed. Uh, yeah. It was from, sort of from the corner of the room, um, really wide angled shot of the of the area. I liked that, um, and I actually felt bad for Ben, which was a weird emotion to feel. But it seemed like you know when he had Donna with 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 Mrs. Hayward, he he seemed to kind of want to do the right thing and. He didn't interfere, and he got pulled back into this. He didn't insert himself back into it, and he didn't want any of this to happen. I felt kind of bad for him. Yeah. Which is I, weird. I, I think this scene is kind of the... I mean, I feel like the last scene is one where where it kind of redeems a bunch of stuff that is not not the greatest, and this one is sort of the opposite for me. I think it was a pretty <laughs> bad scene in most ways. I mean, Doc Hayward's orangutan punch, and, uh, <laughs> you know, like, just the, just the, and just the silliness of it, but it doesn't, it's not silly in a way that, uh, in a kind of absurdist way that David Lynch does well. It's just, it, it, it's like there's no material to work with here. Right. Now, these last two scenes are important for us on May 21st because these are two of the questions we will be wanting to find out the answers to. Does Ed stay with Nadine? Yes. And is Ben alive? And does Donna reconcile with her parents? Well, we know that Lara Flamboyle is not in season three. But is Donna? What trick good point because she wasn't in Firewater Me. That's a good point. Good point. Yep. Open, open dangling plot lines. All right. Um, so then we move uh, quickly to a quick little moment at the Martells in the middle of the night as Andrew Packard uh, realizes the key that's in the cake stand is actually the key to a safe deposit box, and he switches it with his own safe deposit box key. They'll never be the wiser, except Pete catches him, and that's it. Andrew uh, oh, is a pre-modern age comic book character here as he speaks his, <laughs> all of his thoughts out loud to us. <laughs> <laughs> no one will ever catch me. Yeah. <laughs> So then, uh, then we cut back to the woods where Truman and Cooper arrive uh, at the entrance to the woods in Glastonbury Grove, and they see Pete's truck. Um, this goes back to your question about the uh, about wh- how many deputies are in Twin Peaks. Wh- why do they come alone? <laughs> right. But where's, also, where's well, the Hawk? others are guarding the roads. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, true. true. But also, shouldn't Cooper have been here before? Like they found major clues in this grove. Yeah. As the lead investigator on the murder, shouldn't he have gone to this location? Well, he, well, he just found out. Apparently, Hawk just told him that's where he found it. So, oh yeah, I found yeah. these important yeah. clues. I didn't tell you where. Yeah. But wasn't that thing where uh, where Hawk found the found the stuff? We, they never actually covered that in the series. It they, was just something like in the second season they shoved into that big explanation. Yep. Uh, sequence. So it, it was it was never something they actually dealt with. It was something they talked about as if it as if they had done it, but they didn't really. Yeah, it's like we missed that ep- that scene of that episode because they never yeah. showed it. Yeah, they just they, they that was a, early in the season when there was that major recap. Yeah, you're right. That's when they talk about it. Ugh. Anyway, so they arrive and uh, Truman's got a rifle and they start walking in the woods and then Cooper stops and uh, he it looks like he's affected and then he tells Truman that he has to go in alone. Uh, and so Cooper keeps on walking and Al hoots. We see the shot of the owl and then Cooper enters Glastonbury Grove. He looks at the trees. He looks at the pool of oil then follows Wyndham Merle and Annie's footsteps. Uh, and then Truman sneaks up. Truman, you know, he's not going to be one to stand, but stand idly by. And he sees the red cur- curtain appear and Cooper step into it and disappear and the curtain dissolve. So it goes back to my thing where Cooper didn't do anything to open the, the lodge. The lodge opened up to him. So it seems like, um, and, uh, Thus enters our first, you know, well, I guess our, our most recent glimpse of the Black Lodge. 
uh, as Cooper walks in, uh, Under the Sycamore Tree is being sung, uh, and the little man from another place comes in and dances his way to the chair, and then uh, the singer is there singing the song, and the strobe light, the Lynch strobe light intensifies, and then uh, the singer finishes the song, and uh, and it dissolves. Uh, Jimmy Scott. Yeah, little singing Jimmy Scott. Talks. Yep. Yeah. This was not a, not a good episode for epileptics. No, no. no. Well, and I can't imagine getting away with it now. It really, no. re- it really reminded me. I know we're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about Firewalk with me in an upcoming episode. But it really, this really reminded me of those scenes in Firewalk with me that were just so strobe light intensive. You know, where yeah. like, and, and it gets to a point where at first it's really disconcerting, but then you kind of you get you. At least I found myself settling into the rhythm and almost enjoying it in a certain degree. But um, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I love I love that close up of Cooper where the strobe lights hitting his face from different angles all the yeah. time. I, th- I think that's great. I think that's a great sort of like you know it's saying visually what you know what he's feeling. Yep, absolutely. Well, and this is the first time we confirm that what we saw in his dreams previously was the Black Lodge. Right. If this is the Black Lodge, uh, the the little man from another place calls it the waiting room. Yes, and I don't Good think point. anyone actually calls it the Black Lodge at any point. Uh, but this was know, the entry point to the Black Lodge, and the key was fear, and that's where Wyndham was going. So it's a pretty good bet, right? Yeah, but David Lynch showed up that day and decided none of that. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's so, the waiting room. <laughs> so, um, but we cut away from the Black Lodge or the waiting room or wherever, and we go to the woods as Andy comes through the woods looking for Truman. Um, and so Andy comes to keep Truman company. Time passes, and then that's the morning, and Andy and Truman are sitting on a log, and, and Truman explains to us that it's been 10 hours uh, since Cooper went in there. Um, and Andy starts suggesting some coffee, maybe a plate special, maybe dessert and a pie. And Truman is just kind of agreeing and just staring at Glastonbury Grove. So clearly, I love the, the delays. Slowest yeah. way possible. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> uh, so before we move on, I want to talk more about the previous scene in the lodge yeah. or the waiting room. I know that Gabe will get into it in, in, in a bit when we we stay here. How you you feel demystified, but I always loved seeing all the bizarre things that are happening in here. Like Jimmy Scott, the singer, never explained why there's a guy in a tuxedo singing. Yep. Uh, did he get booked at a really bad gig? Does he have a horrible West Coast representation that he got booked at the Black Lodge? <laughs> I don't know. He's never explained. But it's I thought it's it's just so for me, everything about it is weird and eerie. And <laughs> did he get paid scale? We don't know. <laughs> He hates or is he, an av- is he one of those avatar type people like the little man or the, yeah. uh, you know, or the, well, yeah. is there, does he have a companion person somewhere? It's just atmospheric, right? The Black yeah. Lodge, the waiting room part of the Black Lodge is just I'm not going to let you call it the Black cool. Lodge. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and, and what's going to look cooler? You know, red curtains looks cool. Zigzaggy yeah. tile, totally cool. Man from another place. Yeah, absolutely cool. Jimmy Scott singing in the corner. Why not? Put him in a tux. He looks cool. Yeah. It sounds good. I, I mean, yeah. just I, I love all the weird atmospherics of, of yeah. the waiting room. Oh, watch. actually, no, I do too. I, I, that was just my, you know, my petulant seventeen-year-old reaction to it. <laughs> in the first place, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've come to absolutely adore all this stuff. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, so um, so we're going to step away from the absurd and go back to to reality, I guess, and uh, <laughs> we go to the bank. Uh, 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 if it, if it's, it's a savings and loan. It's a savings and loan uh, where Audrey <laughs> storms in and she meets Mr. Mib- Mr. Mibbler, Del Mibbler, who Del is Mibbler. who is played by the actor Ed Wright, 
who was also in Wild at Heart, another David Lynch film. Uh, he was in an episode of Cheers. He was in Starsky and Hutch in 1978. So, uh, but this is another classic David Lynch old senior citizen actor who walks very slowly. Um, and Audrey comes in, tells Mr. Mibbler to call the Twin Peaks Gazette because she is going to be uh, protesting the savings and loans involvement in the Ghostwood Project by chaining herself to the, to the bank vault. Uh, and Mr. Mibbler does not know what to make of this, uh, but he does offer her a glass of water, of which we get the very long walk from the vault to the water back to Audrey, realizing Audrey can't drink it because she's chained, so he pours it in her mouth for her and then walks it back. Uh, right? it just It's about as David Lynch as it gets. Um, and then at that point, though, as he's bringing the water back, uh, Andrew and Pete come in, and Mr. Mibbler can't believe that, that Andrew is back alive. Um, and Andrew t- tells him to, to deal with it and shows him the key and says, I need to get into a safe deposit box. I mean, uh, I feel like Mibbler could be a little more astonished, to be honest. <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> um, so they go, to, they go to the vault, but they're interrupted by Audrey and her civil disobedience, of which Andrew loves this and even quotes Marcus Aurelius in, in supporting Audrey. Uh, but that doesn't stop them from just opening the door and moving Audrey aside, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, and as this is happening, so then they, they, there's many, many safe deposit boxes, and Mr. Mibbler is walking towards the one that the key opens as that happens we hear the phone ring and the security guard answer the phone and proclaim it's a boy uh which is very good for him i guess and then uh we cut back to andrew and pete in the safe and they open the safe deposit box and it reveals uh a a blinking light and a bomb and a note that says got you andrew love thomas and then uh the bank explodes and we just see mr mibbler's glasses outside landing on a tree and some dollar bills falling around it so And this is the origin of the phrase, making it rain for money. (laughs) This this was uh, 14-year-old Connor's least favorite scene because the idea of Audrey blowing up was really too much for me to handle. That's sad. But But, this was near 40-year-old Connor's favorite scene in the entire episode. Purely purely because of Mr. Mibbler, right? Well, this is, to me, the most pure Twin Peaks scene in, in this. I mean... It breathes. It goes on uncomfortably long. Mm-hmm. There are multiple things happening, and Mr. Mibbler walks across the entire bank at a slow shuffle to get the water and walks all the way back. I mean, this had to be excruciating for people watching it, and that's, yeah. I mean, it, it's There's so There's no David supernatural Lynch. coolness. That's the only thing that I would say Twin Peaksy that's missing. Yes, but I think it's, it's the, the other side of it. It's the other yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. The aesthetic of Twin Peaks. The to atmosphere. Me. The atmosphere of it yeah. is uh, everything about this scene, how it changes in the middle from, from Audrey's scene to Pete and Andrew's scene. Yeah. Um, and kind of the funniness of her chaining herself up and then accommodating them as the they per- open the door of, she's changing. Of, of the of the, the capitalist pushing aside the, uh, the, <laughs> the protester. Wow, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's to me, it's a brilliantly constructed scene. It's, I think this is the best constructed scene in the whole yeah yeah i i i think if you know del mibbler is probably my fourth favorite character (laughs) i mean you've got albert you've got cooper you've got pete and then del mibbler because (laughs) i mean like i just he's got to move them so you're you're good to go (laughs) there is a charismatic intensity brought across by this actor in this ridiculous scene in these like, like the the way that it's covered, like this Kubrick movie with this, you know, super wide lens on the other side of the room and just letting him walk forever, yep. and his his reactions and the um and and also the entrance of uh the the amazing entrance of uh, Andrew and Pete uh on. 
the far side of the room from behind a pillar and we don't know what's happened at first but yeah. like there's there's like several beats where there's just a confused old man staggering back and forth and finally realize they've entered it's like the world's worst staging i mean like it's it's like it's the world's worst staging but it it also is the best staging in the world because somehow it it just its audacity works in a way that it never should but it's hilarious well put well very well put for me this is the first scene of this episode and upon rewatching it now this is the first scene where i thought like how did this get on tv well, could you imagine being the ABC executive who yeah. watches this, screens this episode going, oh, fuck, I just put it on. We have to finish this off. <laughs> like, I can't have this fight anymore with David Lynch. Like, it, like it, this is so non-1991. canceled anyway. Just let him do yeah, it. It's Fine. so not commercial. network television. This is the yeah. le- the, as far away from that as you can get. Yeah. Well, so it's funny because in the original script, actually going again to back to the deviation, the original script, uh, Pete uh, did not go with Andrew to the bank. Um, and in fact, uh, Catherine, who is not in this episode at all, um, she she ran into the bank right before Andrew set off the bomb. Uh, the idea being that that Catherine would die or would be dead along with Pete, along with Andrew as well. But Pete was not supposed to be in the bank, so who knows why Lynch put him there? Who knows? I bet and he likes Pete. Cap. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Pete, Pete just makes everything better in my in yeah. my mind. Is yeah. is there any chance Del Milbler survived and is in the new season? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have to recast, and there's no way like, you just can't live up to a performance like that. Yeah. You can't recast Del Midler. <laughs> I feel so like that's like Baker. recasting Harry Truman. Oh wait, <laughs> oh, oh wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> all right. So uh, then we cut over to the diner where Major Briggs and Mrs. Briggs are canoodling in a booth, and uh, Bobby, back in his leather jacket and, and the hair that we remember, Bobby uh, is with Shelley, and they're holding hands, watching his parents kiss, and and you get a nice little moment of wow, things are going to be okay. Um, and then, we said about being hit the scene before the, yeah, like for all of these characters, exactly, yeah. Um, and Bobby is so inspired by this by this moment that he tells Shelley that they should get married, and Shelley laughs at him and goes, "But I'm still married to Leo." At which point we cut back to Windermere's <laughs> cabin where we see Leo still holding the twine in his mouth with the tarantulas above his head, uh, which which never... as far as we know he does for the rest of his life. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're just gonna keep cutting to it in the new season. Just an old man, white hair. Yeah. Um, and then at this point, uh, the other double R waitress, Heidi, the German waitress, comes in and she's late for work, uh, blames her car, and uh, Bobby and Shelley, Shelley give her a hard time telling her that she was jump-starting the old man, to which she giggles and, and runs off. Um, and then, the identical scene from the pilot. Yes, oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. It's yep. word for word, right? Yep. And then, um, and then uh, at this point, that Dr. Jacoby comes in with Mrs. Palmer, and they're looking for Major Briggs uh, because she, she, Ms. Sarah Palmer is feeling very weird, and she's got something to tell Major Briggs. And at that point, she uh, her voice changes an octave, and she tells Major Briggs that she's in the Black Lodge with Cooper, and that I'm waiting for you. Um, and interestingly enough, I watched this episode with um, uh, captions on on Netflix. And the mm-hmm. closed caption for this scene, when she goes into the weird affected voice, it says, Wyndham Merle's voice in brackets. What? Um, I'm in the Black Lodge yeah, of Cooper. See, I'm waiting for you. I wrote yeah, I down was Man from Another Place. Yeah, I wrote down she was channeling Man from Another Place because I think, isn't there like a visual representation that like it, it dissolves yeah. to him or something? But everything what? I read online said she was doing Wyndham Merle's voice, and I didn't get that at all. Yeah, I don't know me. where that's coming from because it, I mean, and but you could make the argument that it could be anybody, that it could be Laura or Leela. Right. No, I mean, it, there, there's not really anything apart from that kind of juxtaposition with Little Man from Another Place to tell you at all who this is supposed to be. 
but well, yeah. well, there there is the there is the um, that weird kind of shot of a face that's hard to tell what it is. Um, I, I did find on one website that took it and like reversed the negative or whatever, and it is Wyndham Earl's face. Oh, you mean okay. the the subliminal shot of Wyndham yeah, Earl later? Yeah, yeah, those yeah that's shot, yeah. that's definitely Wyndham Earl. Right. Um, the uh, that's long been a like I read about that wrapped in plastic, you know, yeah. twenty years ago or whatever. <laughs> but the um, uh, that's definitely Wyndham Earl. But it's juxtaposed with Laura. That it's it's intercut with a shot of Laura screaming. Yep. And then kind of associated with Wyndham Earl too. So I don't know. I also like that we get Bobby hooting. There's just so many. This is like this is this is the best of scene right here. Like right. they only bring Sarah Palmer in so you can see Sarah Palmer one last yeah. time. There's no other reason for that. Yep. Also, uh, and well, you got to bring in Jacoby and whatever the fuck he's wearing. Right. <laughs> he's wearing a yeah. hood. Doctor Jacoby's Doctor Jacoby's cape is just amazing. It really yeah. is amazing. Yeah. So. so our questions for 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 season three: Did Leo get out of the twine? Did Bobby marry Shelley? Did Heidi ever finally jumpstart the old man? We need to know. <laughs> I, also, I, I believe Heidi is in the new season. So yes, I don't know. Oh man, I also want to know because um, this is a major dangling plot line with Major Briggs. I mean, obviously he he got abducted and he had the tattoo, but like he still has only been really on the fringes of of the main story, and and this this would seem to put him right in the center of it. Right. But, yeah, it's it really would, sad that we don't have Don Davis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but it the weirdest thing. I don't know why, but somehow rewatching the episode this time, I was like, so, I mean, you know, I'd taken these scenes for granted for so long, but if they're saying, you know, uh, you know, I'm in the black lodge with Dale Cooper and then it cuts that shot of the hallway and it's, I'm waiting for you. Uh, I mean, it's basically saying that, that major Briggs should be rushing to help at yeah. the end of this episode. And, right. and you know, that just doesn't happen. It happens in the script, though. So, well, yeah, I was gonna say in the, in the script. Actually, what what happened was is that we're talking about Leo Johnson is that uh, Hawk and Briggs go to Winnemurl's cabin and they find Leo there. Um, yeah. and, and apparently, at, w- at which point Leo starts to talk and then uh, lets the twine go and the su- spider trap falls on him. Um, yeah, so we I, actually we actually got a, a ending to Leo there. Uh, but yeah, in this, in I this think ca- the way we. This way was better. <laughs> Just don't deal with. Lee. I mean, yeah. like them going in there, and the you know, it's it it says they go in, and he you know he lets the thing go, and they're screaming, and shots fired. Like I guess they're shooting spiders or something, and, and <laughs> you know, it's, it's a pretty lame. <laughs> So you you guys are gonna before we get to the I'm just putting off the inevitable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you guys are planning on doing an episode between the seasons where you're talking about some of the extraneous materials like the books and things, right? Yes, yes. So, so yeah, we're going to talk about it at the end of this episode, Connor, but I'll do it now for you. After this episode, next episode of Damn Fine Podcast will be about Fire Walk With Me, and then we're going to have another episode about the books and all the extraneous stuff uh, before season three starts. Okay, because the secret history of Twin Peaks... We'll shed some light on some of the except stuff. except we need to look into this because we're here. Uh, Mallory O'Meara, who was on the show a couple episodes ago, revealed which uh, which then Tom, I think you confirmed whatever. But Mark Frost says that the secret history of Twin Peaks is not in canon. <laughs> what? It's in, well, whether it's in canon or not, all all sorts of things are not uh, don't line up with right. what happened in the series in in very pointed ways. It's very unclear. I mean, I read it and uh, it's. Uh, there are many, many things like uh, in the in the book, uh, um, uh, um, you know, like there are, there are characters who who die early in the in the book who are still alive by the series, and it's very confusing. 
Indeed. I mean, why, why would anything Twin Peaks uh, related be clear and easy to understand? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to dive into the books and we're going to figure out what matters and what doesn't matter. I'm, I'm still about halfway through Secret History. Um, it, was, it was a little rough to get started, but now that I'm in more contemporary times, I'm getting into it. So um, uh, it will be finished soon, though. Um, all right. Well, that gets to the main event, which uh, takes us back to the waiting room or the Black Lodge or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and uh, we're not going to recap everything thing that happens in this sequence. Because Cooper walks down a hall. Cooper pulls a curtain aside. <laughs> Cooper looks in and sees strobes. Cooper <laughs> comes back down the hall. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of Cooper running between rooms. It's also like a 20 minute sequence too. It ridiculous. goes on yeah. for a very long time. But this is, and so this is the major bit of the script that uh, David Lynch just uh, tore up and shot his own thing, um, you know, and, but basically, you know, the original script was focused way more on uh, Wyndham Earl and kind of Cooper and, and, and Gabe, you, you read the script. I didn't read yes. the script. I'm just going off notes, but it's much more focused on Wyndham Earl and Cooper and that kind of uh, thing where. Yeah. And a, a lot of Wyndham Earl doing his, you know, his sort of uh, Batman villain stuff and, <laughs> uh, in, uh, you know, in disguises and then uh, the world's most horrible reveal of Bob uh, where he's dressed as a dentist and it's, uh, yeah. it just, it's, it's like the Joker in the Dark Knight yeah. it's not good so, I read a great, I read a great um, review of this episode talking about the script saying basically this is David Lynch saying fuck you and your Wyndham Earl yep. he's not the, he's not the yeah. bad guy he's Bob and, yep. and basically getting rid of all that stuff yeah, and so in doing so, what he does is he continues the hit parade of all the previous stuff. We see, of course, we see a lot of the little man from another place. Uh, we see Senor Drill Cup. We see the giant. We see Laura. We see Maddie. We see Carolyn. We see Annie, right? So it, it, it really becomes a, a, uh, a greatest hits of Cooper's kind of past in terms of the Laura Palmer case as well as his own personal life. But not Josie who got cut out. Yeah, no Josie. Jo- and, and Frank Silva, who played Bob, said Josie was there, that there were shots of Josie. No, they, shot, they did a shot yeah. of everything, but cut her yeah. out for time. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so ultimately what happens is, is that Cooper you know, is, is in the Black Lodge, going from room to room, exploring all this stuff, seeing all this weird stuff. We're getting allusions to Bob. At one point, the little man from another place is, wow, Bob, wow, fire walk with me. Um, we get a bunch of fireballs. Um, and then uh, basically what happens is that Cooper comes face-to-face with Wyndham Earl, who uh, asks Cooper if he'll give up his soul for Annie's, and Cooper says yes. And so Wyndham Earl stabs him, but then Bob intervenes and rewinds it and unstabs Cooper. And uh, reveals that you mean Win- David Lynch intervenes <laughs> and rewrites the script <laughs> exactly. and says, "No, Earl, you don't get to kill Cooper." Yep. And Bob Bob explains that Wyndham Earl can't take a soul; that only he can take a soul. And in fact, Bob is going to take Wyndham Earl's soul, uh, which we get a great early '90s sci-fi or, or, or you know special effects of Wyndham Earl's flame coming out of his head, which was. <laughs> but it isn't even early '90s. It's like early like 19th century or something. Like it's it's really just stuff on. Set, yep. you know, uh, uh, played backwards. You know, yeah, yeah. like it's 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 like an old you know magic act or something. Yeah, it's very strange. So at that point, Wyndham Earl has been dealt with. Bob has taken his soul. You think the threat is over, and now Cooper's going to get out. But then uh, emerges Cooper's doppelganger, or Cooper's darks. You know, uh, Black Lodge self, his darkest self. And we then proceed to get a hilarious David Lynchian chase. 
Uh, <laughs> which honestly, yeah, you could put you could put the Benny Hill music to it; it would be wonderful. Um, but yeah, but and and this actually had a great Leland Palmer reappears during this chase, and what we and how we can identify the doppelgangers or the dark selves uh, are their eyes. They've got those you know kind of white contact eyes on their you know showing. And we see Laura as that. We see Leland. We see Cooper. There's a great moment where Cooper Cooper's doppelganger and Leland look at each other and smile, and then Cooper looks right in the camera and smiles. That was that was creepy. There's one moment where he, it's not that moment, but there's a moment where he's chasing the real Cooper and he stops before going through the curtain and looks right at us. And I, yeah, I, I, I was yeah. genuinely unsettled by that. Yes, moment. great touch. Um, and then essentially, uh, doppelganger Cooper finally catches Cooper, and then uh, we can't see what's going on because Bob is at the foreground of the shot, laughing and much strobe lighting going on, uh, and then. Uh, that ends the time in the in the Black Lodge. So before we move from it, uh, what did you, what do you guys make of this entire sequence? <laughs> it's well, great. The the I love it. I'll, I'll throw out uh, before we get our our, our guest opinions. Uh, this is the scene with Laura saying, "I'll see you again in twenty five years," which yep. is when season three is going to be set. So Laura is going to fulfill that promise, which is pretty exciting. Uh, we also get a scene that I blew my mind the first time I saw it, uh, which is the giant and the old man sitting down and the man from another place saying one and the same. And the more I see it, the more it feels on the nose of like, well, yeah, of course they're one and the same. And yeah. you didn't need to tell me that. Uh, there's the whole weird thing with the solid coffee, which I always find fascinating. Uh, and then the, the, we get a return of Maddie, watch out for my cousin, uh, kind of implying that Laura is a danger. The whole Annie and Caroline thing seems pretty on the nose as well. Um, but uh, I, I, I think, I think there's just it's just like Lynch wanting to have greatest Lynch moments uh, and put as many as possible before this goes out of style. It, it's it's hard to watch um, in a good way. I mean, I, there's so much Laura screaming that it's so much Laura it's, screaming. It's really hard. I mean, I I just find it very emotional. Like again, I go back to being 14 all of a sudden, and I can't deal with it. And she's and she must have blown blown out her vocal cords to shooting this episode because she just there's that one shot. The there's that one shot where she's screaming and crawling over the couch, just like yeah, how yeah. Bob was crawling over the couch when he yeah. killed Maddie. That was oh man, so disturbing. It's just yeah. that never ceases to disturb me. Her <laughs> screaming. <laughs> Yeah. So you mentioned Tom um, the quote. I'll see you again in twenty five years. There's another one I wrote down in which the little little man says, "When you see me again, it won't be me," which is actually a great way to cover up the fact that Michael J. Anderson isn't in the new season either. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. True. Yeah, I just I assumed think, it was the evil man from another place that yeah. we see shortly, but it could sure, be a dual there's, meeting. It's these, these are things just that are just working out for them. I think. Yeah. Yeah. They look back on it. Um, but uh, one of the things with the the dual giants that made me think was the the senior jewel cup as you guys as you guys call him he he was actually out in the physical world interacting with people yes. here he is in the lodge and that's the only other than the people that are dead the only instance i know of of, of the actual physical person being you know what i mean like mike yeah. when, when our mike isn't in the lodge right yeah his his he, his other self is i mean we do see in later fire walk with me we do see that's true. mike in the lodge we see you know and leland and bob are in the lodge at the same time that's true it's good it's really good i'm just i'm not <laughs> I, gonna, I'm, I don't know that it makes sense no no that's, 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 i was trying to figure out wait a minute 
But um, also, I really like that they sort of exonerated Leland in this in this scene where they you he know, says I didn't kill I, anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, which he didn't. I, Bob did. Yeah, but I feel like that. I mean, I that that is that little bit with Leland is always really disturbing because I feel like there's a level of it uh, where. I mean, it's a it's the Leland doppelganger. The Leland doppelganger is saying, "I didn't kill anybody." In this way, that is sort of mocking. Like he's almost, it's almost like he's saying that the real Leland did kill kill her. That the real Leland does have some sort of you know is culpable in some way. I've got sort of a twisted take on this, and it ties in with what Ron said about all the evil versions of people have the white eyes. Yep. That there for bob to inhabit anyone you have to have an evil part of yourself right the fear lets bob in and takes your evil part and so this is the evil part of leland that bob used and and actually enjoys the fact that bob killed and thinks it's funny that he can say i didn't kill anyone it was yeah. bob yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's that's pretty I think, good i think it's very disturbing i yeah. it's in a good way it really is. Uh, it really is. I mean, it, it was just. I mean, the the my favorite part of it probably was the the once Wyndham Earl gets dealt with, and then you get the sense that okay, Cooper is you know maybe he's going to get out. It's going to be okay. And then the chase and the, re, the 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 realization that there is a dark Cooper, that the doppelganger Cooper is there. That's when it really ratcheted up for me, you know. And mm-hmm. and the and even and and I joke we joke about the you know the the Benny Hill music as they're chasing each other, but again using that same wide angle shot like at Ed's uh, Ed's living room at the Hayward house yep. of the of the red room you know and Cooper running to the camera you know and then you see his silhouette behind the curtain and when Bob is right in front of the camera it is, it is just absolutely horrifying but then gives me a sense of the strobe light effect gave me a sense of calm and a sense of like <laughs> I, I'm accepting I'm giving in to the Garbandoza whatever it is you know? Garbandoza so yeah um, oh man but it, I, it, it is as lynch as Lynch gets. Yeah, I guess. Well, okay. I mean, for me, I think that, well, it's crazy that there's this 20 minute chunk of this thing that is basically like a, I mean, it's an experimental movie and yeah. it's like Kenneth Anger or Andre Tarkovsky, except it's on ABC in 1991. <laughs> yep. And uh, the, and like the fact that, I mean, I can, I can kind of get the, the greatest hits of David Lynch aspect of it, but I think that that might be like a little bit retrospective a way of looking at it because I don't know that this is what David Lynch was before right now. You know, he yeah. uh, um, it's, it's like when uh, up until this point in, I mean, to some degree in throughout Twin Peaks, but definitely right now uh, he'd never done something this supernatural and uh, yeah. like, and abstract in a certain way. Eraserhead is very abstract. But yeah. Not, but not it, in the same it, way. It's a good yeah, not Yeah. Not in these terms. And, uh, and I think that, it was him changing into something that his the rest of his career would really be defined by Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway and Inland Empire all come directly out of this. And with the not only uh, just this kind of big stylistic leap, but the uh, the duality question, like talking about uh, the duality of characters explicitly through these supernatural terms is what he what he became for the rest of his career. You know, that's really interesting because I, I think of it as all of the little elements throughout the two seasons come together here. But, but now you're, 
explanation there makes me look at it as those little elements were Lynch trying things, and this is the culmination of his experiments. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, and, maybe. I mean, maybe it's all too much, like I felt like when I was 17, but I yeah. don't really feel like that anymore. I mean, I right. think that it, but it may just be being used to it or whatever. But I, I think it's, I think it's really bold and I think it's really crazy. And, uh, and like, I, I can't help but appreciate just that level of commitment to craziness and somehow and ending it with the cliffhanger and somehow they like it still thought maybe there would be a, a third season while while burning the house down the <laughs> <laughs> holding out hope and, and and the thing is after re after watching all this i mean and this whole sequence could be watched on its own as like a little mini movie right i think i think they yeah. you know uh, it's just it's just so out there and just such an experience but like knowing you know seeing the original script and seeing the changes that it made and lynch and like how much in uh lockstep were lynch and frost you know like when they're on set and he goes no no i want to do all this stuff you know, like is is this Lynch's ultimate vision? But I got the sense that Frost had a lot of influence as well as it too. Is this a lot of mythology stuff that they, that they figured? Well, we're never going to be able to explore all this. So let's throw everything at it. I don't think Frost was a part of this at all. I yeah. think that uh, that this was a big. Um, they had a big falling out after Twin Peaks, right. and you notice that Mark Frost didn't work on Fire Walk with me, and I I think that um, that this was, uh, you know, David Lynch. Again, kind of swooping in after paying no attention, going, I don't like any of this stuff, pissing all of them off. And then and imagine, uh, imagine if you know anything about how television works and like shooting television, showing up on the day and <laughs> throwing out like most of the script and going, I'm just going to sit around here and figure it out. Everybody go, you know, have uh, have a coffee. Yeah. You know, I mean, like burning money like that. I mean, these people are, uh, you know, the the other people. Somebody get Phoebe on. Augustine on the phone because I want her in the scene. Yeah, now. exactly, yeah. exactly. Like she wasn't, you know, she wasn't on the call sheet, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, I, I think that it's crazy. It's crazy that he showed up and did this. I'm sure it pissed off everybody else who was there, who you know, uh, who'd work, like put all the effort and 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 work into doing this thing, and just to have it thrown away. I think the evidence that Gabe's right that this is all Lynch is that it doesn't really fit tonally the rest, of, you know, the, the the rest of season two, the second half. Yeah, yeah. Sure. it fits season two, the first half that when Lynch was involved, at least shooting some of the episodes. But then when he goes away, the show completely changes tone, and then it comes back around for this. And then, although this tone is even like, crazier, more somber, like through the whole thing yeah. for the most part, apart from yeah. Del Mibler, greatness of Del Mibler, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's very like it's very somber and uh you know and it, it has even a different tone from the previous stuff almost get, get maybe getting towards that kind of somber fire walk with me tone yeah well, it definitely you definitely see the you see the beginnings of what becomes the visual language of fire walk with me in this episode for sure yeah well, let's uh, let's talk about the end because we didn't talk about that before we well, yeah, eulogized no, the series. Yeah, exactly. So there's still a couple more scenes to happen. Um, so after uh, the the after the Black Lodge uh, spits out Cooper and Annie, uh, Truman, uh, <laughs> the curtain comes back to Glastonbury Grove, and Truman uh, wakes up and runs over and sees Cooper and Annie laying on the ground, uh, both bloody. Uh, which makes me wonder why was Annie why how, how did Annie get hurt I guess by being in the lodge she just got hurt who knows yeah Bob roughed her up probably yeah, who knows um, and then we cut to the waterfall and then we go back to the Great Northern where Cooper wakes up in his pajamas 
<laughs> with, and you were there, and you were there. With Truman and Doc Hayward watching over him. I, I think it's nice that they brought him back to the hotel, not the hospital. Why is he not in the hospital? Right, and, they and never they, take him to the hospital, right. ever. And they, but and they, uh, but the, this probably means that Ben Horn isn't dead because Doc Hayward isn't in jail. That's a good or point. Or maybe they just buried his body in the backyward of the, of the Hayward house. <laughs> Harry, Harry's been too busy. He, he didn't have a chance to Why are you covered in dirt, Doc? Don't worry about it. I just like the I just like the fact that they put him in his pajamas, right? Like he's probably unconscious. Make and him comfortable, yeah. yeah. It's like oh, let's 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 take off his clothes and put him in his pajamas. Anyway, so uh, I, like that he, I like that he wakes up and says, "I wasn't sleeping." Yes, like, like somebody does when they, uh, you know, when like uh, that kind of disassociative thing when you wake up. Yeah. <laughs> so Cooper says, "I wasn't sleeping," um, and <laughs> he asks how how Annie is, and Truman says she's fine. She's at she's at the hospital. <laughs> they clearly stopped at the hospital. They could have dropped Cooper off, but no, we're going to go to the hotel. Um, and so at what point Cooper then says he needs to brush his teeth. Uh, and so he gets up and he slowly walks to the bathroom. He stops again and says, I need to brush my teeth. And Harry goes with it and says, that's a good idea. And so then Cooper goes into the bathroom and he puts toothpaste on his toothbrush. And then he starts squeezing the toothpaste out into the sink. Uh, and then he looks at, uh, intently at the mirror and smashes, backs up and smashes his head into the mirror, and the mirror shatters, and we see on the other side Bob. Uh, and then uh, Cooper and Bob uh, turn to the camera and smile, and then uh, Cooper says mockingly, How's Annie? How's Annie? In a very Joker-esque to- tone. Uh, and then you hear off the side where Truman's asking if Cooper's all right, and it ends with the shot of Cooper laughing, uh, Bob in the mirror. Bob has taken over Cooper. Or this I the, actually took the I wasn't sleeping to be Bob yep. saying that. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. 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 To be saying I wasn't. You guys thought I was gone. Yep. Well, guess what? Yeah. Well, so, so, so the theory is that good Cooper is still in the Black Lodge. This is doppelganger Cooper. He got the best. He got the he got the upper hand on him and he has escaped into the real world. And Bob has inhabited him. Uh, and that's, you where, know, that's where we end up. I used to think that more uh, this time around. It struck me more like. This is this is Cooper. This is the real Cooper. He's just like Leland was now. He's inhabited well, by Bob. I don't yeah. want to. We don't want to get too far into because you're going to do the show in the movie. But isn't in yeah. Firewalk with Me? Don't they say the good Coopers in the lodge? Yeah. 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 Uh, Annie says that in Laura's dream. Yep. And uh, it, you could have. I mean, Gabe. I'm assuming you were down in the village somewhere with your friends who don't have TVs. But yes. um you you probably heard my fourteen year old scream from all the way down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was on Seventh Street. I was on the roof, so I probably did. Yeah, I was up on eighty first. I was up on eighty first Street. Um, first of all, I should have invited you over. I'm very sorry, but uh, <laughs> you probably heard me scream from all the. Way. I mean, I was. This was the most traumatic final shot of a show for a fourteen year old. I mean, this is a, you know, this is an era where we're watching Fall Guy. You know, we're yeah. watching Hunter <laughs> on Saturday. Like, yeah. this is not how shows end. Well, and it's funny. It's funny because Tom, if we go back to our episode number twenty-one, which is about season two, episode thirteen, where we had our friend Rod uh, Rob Reed on, who had never watched the show before. He guys, he had watched. He was watching it for the first time ever, right now, and listening to the podcast. And at the end of that episode, we asked him what he think is going to happen, and he guessed correctly that he nailed it. He yeah. nailed it that Bob that Cooper would be inhabited by yeah. Bob. It was so hard not to say anything to him. I know. It was so hard. <laughs> this this whole thing, you know, this ending, I mean, you have it especially at the time knowing that the the show was over. I I genuinely think that I would be a different like better adjusted person if the show <laughs> hadn't ended this way. Like I spent so much time of my like late teens and early 20s obsessed 
with the fact that this show ended this way and that there was never going to be any sort of resolution for it. That like, I, I, I think there is some, it has scarred me deeply. And, you know, even just rewatching it today, I just, I can't get away from that. It informs all my media consumption. It's basically the most important thing that ever happened to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) And also Ron, I don't know if you did the same thing, but when we went to college, and the early days of the internet, and that's when you started getting, being able to find, you know, early websites that delved into this stuff, where people had those forwards going around with Twin Peaks facts, whatever. That's really where I started really diving into it. Yep, you're right. It sort of, it sort of affected how I look at everything. It really, it really did. And it's funny because, like you, so you guys screamed at the end of it. I'm fairly certain my response was Connor, very similar to my response to the, uh, to the end of X Men Three: The Last Stand. Uh, where I was just dumbfounded silence. Like I would just, I, and I just remember just looking at the TV and just like shaking my head and just go like, really, really? Like that's oh, it? Man. You know, it's, like it's, <laughs> it's so funny to think back, like jaded 20 year old, about to be 21 year old in like 18 days from the airing of this, yeah. just shaking my head. Like I was just dumb. Like this show really went to pot <laughs> the, the, the first time it aired. And then, Two years, like two years later, before Firewalk with Me had been announced, watching the whole thing again through, and and feeling what you guys are talking about that second time through of like, oh my god, I was so wrong. This is such a travesty. How do we how do we leave it like that and not have any more? They've got to make more somehow. Yeah. What does it all mean? That, that's that, it, and that's uh, the big thing. That's my big takeaway from it because I remember at, walking away from it because then at that point, I think right around the same time, I went to my first comic convention. I went to Icon at uh, University of Stony Brook out on Long Island. And I remember, <laughs> I, I think I bought the pilot script, like one of those, fo- remember those photocopies? Yes, you know, I, yeah. I, I did the same thing. I, I bought, bought one too. North Passage one. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yes. I bought it at Comic-Con, in, uh, at San Diego Comic-Con. In I bought mine at Big Apple, Apple Comic-Con. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it was yellow. It had a yellow cover. Yes. I, Passage on, it had a train. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, no, so I, 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 I bought it at the first San Diego Comic-Con I went to and then, uh, um, and then went back to the unbelievably uh, shitty hotel in uh, whatever that's called, Capital City or whatever the, the, yeah. the next town over is and read it that night. Yeah, because I, I just wanted as much as I could because I didn't want it to be over. And I yeah. absolutely didn't want that to be the ending, but that's what it was. So, and then, and then it's almost the 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 kicker. So, so let's move on to our, our segment with Diane, where we give our observations. Uh, Tom, what, what was your observation for this episode? Well, yeah, my note was uh, the same as one of yours. The yeah. the end credits uh, rarely changed, but they did change from time to time. Uh, and this time, it was a it was a mashup. It would either be Laura's picture as prom queen or something else. And this time, it, the end credits ended on a cup of. Color coffee and then Laura's picture or reflection maybe uh appears in the cup of coffee like Jesus Ooh. like just a little <laughs> reminder like you just I felt I got the sense that this was unfinished that's that was my takeaway at the end of it yeah so uh well yeah it was absolutely unfinished <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> they made it up on the fly Ron yeah so Connor did you note anything that you hadn't noticed before yeah my notes include um when Donna's standing there with Ben and Doc Hayward it really is obvious who her father is like, oh yeah. Like you're like, oh well, obviously she's Ben's kid. Yeah. And the other note is that the whole toothpaste bit at the end, which always seems like a great David Lynch non sequitur, makes a lot more sense when you realize that in the original script, pre- right before it, they were in a dentist's office. Yes. That's yeah. A very good point. That's a very good point. But I, and now yeah. we take out the dentist, it now becomes just this weird David Lynch uh, thing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Gabe, did you know. notice anything? Uh, just that. Uh, 
uh, somebody mentioned something about the coffee earlier in the Black Lodge, but or whatever it's called, the waiting room. I don't know. Uh, and uh, the and just the fact that uh, that he they gave him coffee and then he tried to drink the coffee and then like it was solid. It was an oil like substance. Just that 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 little moment is uh, is kind of everything about. Uh, the fact that he's in hell compared to the the beautiful, wonderful world of Twin Peaks that has the best coffee in the world. Right, it's right. the worst coffee in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's chewy. Oh, geez. So uh, my observations, I have two, actually. One was, um, this is more aesthetic, but I, I absolutely adore going back to Big Ed snapping in his living room. Uh, did you realize that he had the painting above the couch had lights? Oh, did I ever? <laughs> <laughs> Like that's the main thing I think about when I think about that scene. Yep. Is that that painting has got those cheesy like I guess now they would be LEDs, but who knows what they were? They're probably bulbs or whatever. But like light little, bright, yeah, yeah. little light brights within the light. I just love it. It's so tacky. I love it. Um, I think they bought you anything that bought it down at Grand Central Market downtown because I remember when I first moved out here, going there and seeing those things in yeah. one of the shops. And going, oh my god, that's the one from uh, Big Ed's house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my last observation was that, and you and and Connor, you know how pedantic I am about these things. I've been tracking the timeline where we are right. in relation to what day it is and things like that. And turns out, actually, this is uh, supposed to. This episode takes place uh, Sunday, March twenty sixth, nineteen eighty nine. Uh, which was also Easter, which makes you wonder why was the savings and loan opened on Sunday morning? <laughs> okay. That was one of the main drivers behind the savings and loan scandal yeah, is exactly. that they would open on public holidays. Why was Del Mibler there on a Sunday morning? Uh, He's it, committed, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps up season two. We are done. We did it, Tom. Uh, wow. This is this sense of relief, Connor. It's very similar to when we finished Goodfellas Minute. We're like, wow, I can't believe we made it. You know, like, Wow, Bob, wow. <laughs> wow, Bob, wow. <laughs> but uh, we did get some emails from you, the audience. Uh, and as always, you can email us at feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. we got a couple we wanted to touch on here before we end up today. Uh, Andy writes in and says, hey, guys, if you subscribe to the idea that the log lady's husband's soul is trapped in the log, then this is another example of that phenomenon. And the name of the National Forest is Ghost Plus Wood. The idea that there are spirits in the woods of Twin Peaks seems to fit in quite nicely. So, Of course, he's referring to Josie in the doorknob yeah. uh, becoming part of the wood. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's a little justification for Josie in the Knob, which I know is one of our favorite things. Uh, yeah, Josie in the Knob is also one of my favorite cover bands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys subscribe to Log Lady's Husband being trapped in the log? Uh, it's better than Josie being trapped in that drawer pole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So then we got we got another email, which I thought would be good for having uh, Gabe and Connor on, given our backgrounds in comic books. But uh, Rishi writes in from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and says, I agree with you guys about the suspense of Wyndham Earl kind of falling flat after the physical character is introduced. It fell flat for me, too, and felt very Legion of Doom-esque every time he was with Frankenstein and crew. The thing that, the thing that always reminds me now is how Jessica Jones season one handled Kil the Kilgrave character. They hyped his character up so much before you actually saw the character. By the time you saw Kilgrave, you're dreading his every move and word. And then after you saw him, he became less powerful to you. But then he does shit to his parents. I think the audience's fear of the enemy was handled very well in this case. So in comparing Wyndham Earl as a threat, I, I never I never felt Wyndham Earl as the threat that we wanted him to feel. And then I feel as if, you know, like we talked a lot about Lynch just kind of throwing it away. It kind of it, it falls flat in this episode. He gets into the Black Lodge and, oh, he's in over his head and then he's done. Yeah. But I think that's kind of good. I mean, yeah. I, I've always liked that, that it that it, it kind of it it talks about 
how bad of a guy Wyndham Earl really would be, that he's just, he's totally insignificant compared to all this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that the setup for that kind of payoff is good. I also feel like, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I felt like the moments, for me, the moments with Wyndham Earl in the, in the truck with Annie and stuff are the only time he kind of feels scary to me. The only time that he feels kind of intense uh, and and you know uh, he in the in the script he has reams of that Batman type dialogue and uh, in you know Lynch cut all of it out and he there's there's at least an intensity to him in this episode and which then I think works well for just kind of you know just flicking him away like an ant. Yeah, yeah. Bob is the true evil, and and putting them side by side, I don't think you would believe Wyndham holding his own next to Bob, and so Bob. Te- basically tearing Wyndham Earl's head off feels right. Yeah. Yeah. The the rewind. I did I did laugh when I saw the rewind. So I forgot about that. And I was like, oh right, it was Bob who did it. It's funny how watching it with years of of media criticism, I can figure <laughs> stuff out better than when I was 14. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So uh, email us at feedback at damnfinepodcast or leave a comment on this episode at damnfinepodcast.com. Let us know what you think of the finale, uh, what you thought of season two overall and all that fun stuff. Uh, Connor, Gabe, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, real quickly for folks who haven't, who might not be aware, where can they find you? Connor, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at ifanboy.com alongside Ron every week talking about comic books, sometimes the ones that Gabe makes. And you can also find me on Instagram at CSKilpatrick. And Gabriel, where can people find you? Uh, Just Gabriel Hardman on Twitter and Tumblr and everything. (laughs) Okay. And on on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you guys for season 3? Or how how what's the what's the differential between excitement and worry? That's the better question. 50-50. Yeah, yeah I'd say 50-50. Mm. I can't I can't look forward to things in life in a positive <laughs> way. So I I feel like I've I've kind of just convinced myself that this is not Twin Peaks. So like whatever it is, it's this new show that David Lynch is doing that is uh, that maybe it's called Twin Peaks, whatever, I don't know. But like so that when I go into it when, if there are things that are, you know, that that appeal to me the way Twin Peaks did, I will be ecstatic. Yeah. Well, so it, it, oh, it that that reminds me of of the attitude a lot of us took going into the Star Wars prequels. Well, not all. Oh, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you call that up? I'm just saying. <laughs> no, but the no, I think we have all learned. Okay, the, yeah. <laughs> it's you know the uh, you go into that thing and you know and like for me naive still early twenties I guess and uh, you know mid twenties something like that and you know and you and you think things can happen in the world you think things can be okay stuff can come back the, the <laughs> things can work out and we know things can't work out now. Everything in the world proves to us that nothing can work out. So at least, at least there's a realism going into this. Okay, very grounded. I like it. All right. <laughs> so, uh, well, if you are excited for the upcoming season three, this is what we've got coming up for you, the listener. Um, as we mentioned earlier in the show, we've got two more episodes before season three starts. Uh, our next episode, we're going to be talking about Fire Walk with We Fire Walk with Me, the prequel movie to the TV series, um, which I recently saw in the theater again, which was an experience and was kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. Well, on 35. Yeah. Egyptian here. It's cool. Oh, yeah. It was great. They showed it at Alamo in Brooklyn, and I think it was on 35. Yeah, it was just great. It, it just, uh, and you, know, you have to be able to know the difference between these two yeah, things. Yeah. You can't go there and not know whether it was in 35 right. or. <laughs> 
Listen, I was just excited to see Harry Dean Stanton up on screen, so that's all. That's um, great. <laughs> uh, but then after Fire Walk With Me, we're going to be doing an episode where we're talking about the books. We're going to talk about The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. Well, well, hold on, hold on. In three days from the posting of this episode <laughs> is Fire Walk With Me, and then in six days from now is the day the show <laughs> premieres. And in advance of that premiere, we are going to go live yes. and talk about the books leading up to the moment that we can all watch the show. Yes, we're going to do a fun little live stream, but that live stream is just going to be for our patrons. Uh, so if you want to get involved in that live stream, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast, sign up. A patron of any level, a dollar or higher, you will get the access to that live stream. Um, and we're going to talk about our our speculation, our theories, our all that fun stuff leading up to the, the, the first episode. Um, and then we'll be back here to break down every episode of season three, all 18 of them. So we got... <laughs> So yeah, and episodes one and two are coming out right away. Yeah, they're they're airing both of of them right away, and so that will come to everyone on May twenty fourth. Our 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 recap of it. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a patron, Ron and I have committed to as soon as they're ready. They're going to the patron. So if you want to get them early, you got to back us. Exactly. So go to patreon.com slash podcast. And we thank everybody who's supporting us up to this point. And you've got till May 21st to get on board so you don't miss a thing. Um, and we're going to have some great guests uh, talking about season three. Connor, Gabe, hopefully you'll come back and, and chat with us if we're if we're feeling good about season three <laughs> or not. That could be more entertaining. Who knows? So. I'd be yeah, happy. either way. <laughs> so, um, so stay tuned for that. So in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at DamnFineCast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash damn fine podcast uh thank you for listening to a damn fine podcast season one and two are in the books stay tuned next time for twin peaks fire walk with me the movie connor gabe thanks for joining thank, thank you. you all right until next time i'm ron i'm tom 